Hi everybody, welcome to uh, another episode of Politictic Boom. You'll have to excuse me, I'm in the middle of dealing with my voice, deciding to go on vacation without me. Um, today I am joined by a uh, candidate for the U.S. Senate here in Montana, Mr. Dirk Adams. Hi, how are you? Uh, other than the voice, I'm delightful. <laughs> how are you? I'm good and I'm glad to be here. So um, let's just dive right in. We'll go, why did you decide to run? You know, I felt like the uh, choice that was being uh, queued up in Helena for the Democratic uh, nomination was not going to be able to beat Steve Daines. And I thought I had the agricultural and business background as well as commitment to progressive politics that could beat Steve. And so that's the reason I'm running. And... Um that's great. I think everybody should get in politics for exactly those reasons. I have the skills. I should. Um, when, how was the conversation around the dinner table when you decided to do this? Because it's not a light decision, and it's certainly not an easy gig. <laughs> well, it's. I've met a lot of great people. There's. I've met at least 200 folks that are clearly qualified to be a United States senator from Montana. Um, but, you know, I talked to my wife, Miki, and she was uh, su very supportive and has been. She frequently travels with me when, on the weekends. And um, my kids, uh, I have three children, uh, Harry, who's 27, um, Midori, who is 24, and Kira, who is 22. Um, they all thought it would be a good way to get me distracted from bothering them all the time. <laughs> Okay, so you've been bothering your children, which right. is, you know, what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, let's back up a little bit, because you're one of the more interesting people deciding to run, because you're not originally from Montana. Nope. You're from Nebraska? I was born in Nebraska and grew up in Texas. Okay. Uh oh. And, and then you went to University at Austin. I went to University of Texas at Austin, that's right. Longhorns? Yes, Longhorns. <laughs> Hook them. See, I lived in Houston for a couple of years. I think I'd know this stuff. <laughs> and it was a lucky guess. Um, and then you were a teacher in Houston. Right. What was that like? Oh, it was the hardest job I've ever had. Um, it was the second semester of uh, 19... Uh, the, the first semester of 1973, which would have been January to May. It was uh, seventh grade. Um, there was a vacancy because the last teacher had been shot by one of the seventh graders and killed. And it was a very... Wait, 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 wait. Let's back up. You took a job in a classroom where a seventh grader had pulled a gun and eliminated their teacher? Yes. In so, 72. Right, right. Oh so so that, that's the reason running for the U.S. Senate doesn't seem as hard. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, that's brilliant. Okay, so you took that job, hardest job, not only because you're walking in there going, am I going to get shot, but Absolutely. you're dealing with seventh graders. I'm dealing with seventh graders. So the boys are, you know, headed back towards elementary school and the girls are headed towards college. And that's always challenging. And then from that, you said, well, you know, I, I'd like to take some time off. How about I go to law school? <laughs> yeah, I, I applied to law school. I applied to two law schools, University of Montana and... Uh, um, Harvard and Cambridge, Massachusetts. And where did you go? I, I got accepted both places, but opted for Harvard. <laughs> so you put off your moving to Montana just a little bit. A, a little bit, but not for long. And then, so what did you, what area of law did you study? You know, I was uh, uh, very focused on uh, taxation and uh, acquisition work. 
Um, so I took courses in that area to, to start with. As, as it turned out, as a practicing lawyer, I was a trial lawyer. I found that a lot more interesting. Um, but in law school, I studied uh, corporate law, tax law. Well, that's cool. Um, okay, so teaching seventh graders, decided to kick back and relax, went to Stanford <laughs> Law. Stanford? No, uh, Harvard. <laughs> Still. That's amazing. And then practice law. And then you just woke up one day and bought a ranch? No. Well, I, I, my parents honeymooned in, in Yellowstone National Park. And I'd been to Yellowstone four times by the time I graduated from high school. There are pictures of both. I have one sibling, my brother, who's two years younger. And there are pictures of the two of us as children feeding the bears peanut butter and jelly sandwiches through the window of the car. <laughs> I guess we don't do that anymore in Yellowstone. So I love Montana, and so I always wanted to, to live out here. So um, after I got to be a trial lawyer, I uh, started looking for a job um, in Montana, and I did it the old-fashioned way before the Internet. I subscribed to the Missoulian Sunday paper. It would come on Thursdays in New York, and I would open it and read the classifieds. I applied for a job at the University of Montana, uh, school of Business, and I got it. So I started traveling between Missoula and New York. Oh, nice. So once you got that job, did your love of Montana just solidify? Or? A- absolutely. I mean, I and I, you know, I spent a lot of free of my free time as a college professor, looking for some place to buy and driving around the state and discovering just how gorgeous this state is. Okay. So this segues nicely into the whole. Uh, this is one of the discussions that I wanted to bring up uh, um, because according to the Republicans, you're not a real Montanan. You weren't born here. You weren't raised here. You didn't have the Montana tattoo on your bum from the doctor's <laughs> office. And uh, according to the Democrats, you're not a real Democrat these days. I'm, I don't know where the parties are getting off with this whole we have to have these purity tests. But I'd like to point out that I've never once in my life ever qualified for passing a purity test. So I don't think that's something they should be doing because I know most of these people and I don't think they qualify either. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're, I think it was just silly season a little bit. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that maybe as, as the election grows closer, we'll get a little more serious about this. <laughs> okay, so the the issues that you're bringing up, you're the only you're the only candidate that has come out against the Keystone Pipeline. Um, you do have some uh, interesting viewpoints on just about everything. What do you want to talk about first? Well, let's let's talk about the pipeline for just a second. Um, you know, thirty five jobs. I know, thirty five. Yeah, I know, it'll make thirty five jobs. You know what? I make thirty five jobs in a year. <laughs> Get over yourselves, people. Um, the the, the pipeline is really an, an opportunity for a Canadian company to arbitrage uh, the price between oil in Alberta and North Sea uh, Brent crude prices out of Port Arthur, Texas. Um, in Alberta, that oil is worth about 50 bucks a barrel. In uh, Port Arthur, Texas, that oil is worth about $100 a barrel. And that's just not a good reason to take the risks associated with a pipeline. So um, that's the reason I, that's the major reason, not the only reason, but a major reason I oppose the pipeline. Well, um, I'm not a fan of it, but that's mostly because I've seen that pipes break and I'm like, "Eh, we can't even keep our water pipes good year round. So we're going to have something that crosses our entire country and is filled with sludge. (laughs) 
I don't think that's a good idea. I think one of the, you know, if you really want to submarine this, I think one of the things that they should do, they have to put solar panels on top of the entire pipeline. <laughs> because, you know, hey, why not? That would be the, you know, one if of they're the, serious about building it, make it make more energy. Right. I, one of the things that I think folks have to ask themselves is, TransCan is a big corporation, have a lot of operations, and why are they so fixated, it going on six years now, on this particular pipeline at this particular time? In, in my experience in the corporate world, if you can't get your objective done in a year or two, well, then you need to reevaluate your objectives. And this one is just very weird. Yeah. Um, okay. That seems like a good stance to have on that. Uh, with... The other candidates have come out, you know, they, they're, well, let's build it, let's do this. How do you uh, counteract what they're saying? Because nobody's trying to educate the public on this. I mean, I know you just tried there, and I think right. that's great, but a lot of people just don't get, you know, they don't even understand what it's doing. They don't understand where it goes. They think, well, it's an oil pipeline, oil equals jobs, and you know, okay. Well, you know, uh, w one of the things, one of the themes of my campaign has been to sort of change the 150-year-old uh, paradigm in Montana between, you know, a good and clean environment and uh, what are regarded as good-paying jobs in extractive industries. Montana has this notion that, um, that, well, we have farming. We all know what kind of salaries that pays, and uh, we have... Uh, service industries, and we know what kind of salaries that pays. So the only thing left is to dig stuff up out of the ground. And I think that's, a, it's historically was what Montanans did, but I think it's a false paradigm today. Okay. Um, how do you balance that with what people are are trying to you know, do for new business? What are, where are you redirecting them? So um, I have a proposal that... Um, is actually just uh, uh, bringing Montana up to speed with other states that calls for um, either laying high-speed fiber optics to every school and plugging it in or turning on the fiber optic uh, cable that's already in the state and then making sure that there's um, the hardware for networks in every school so that there's wireless in every classroom and then so that every student has a device to connect to the internet. Fiber is uh, 100 times faster than the fastest broadband, and it also can carry a much larger volume of traffic. So um, my estimation is that fiber just to schools and hospitals will create far more jobs than the kinds of extractive en energy proposals that we're hearing from other folks. Mm. I think that'd be interesting. I'm I'm a big proponent of fiber because I don't like to wait for my videos to download. <laughs> um, when it comes to stepping into the political realm, you're stepping into obviously something that's much higher. Um, a Senate seat is always contested, always a big deal. Certainly, a Senate seat that hasn't come open since what 1862. <laughs> Marcus has been around for a while. God love him. Um, you know, this one's, it, we all knew it was going to be contested when he decided to retire. Nobody really knew he was going to retire and he picked an odd time to do it. Um, how does it feel to step into what is effect effectively uh, one of the most watched races in the nation right now? And it, it, we're not even through the primary. We've got, I mean, okay, nobody's watching the Republicans. Sorry, guys. Nobody cares about your side of this thing. Um, yeah, it's what happens. 
Um, but they're watching you guys really closely. And, you know, Bollinger hasn't done a lot of fundraising. I like the guy. I think he's, he's actually a really good guy. Um, but his fundraising has been really lax and really low. Um, his campaign director lost his mind on Twitter. I don't know what that was about. And, and then you've got um, your race. And you're an unknown quantity in a race that was kind of, you know, it's rumored to be a hand-picked race. They wanted Walsh. You know, and then you've got Walsh, who's, you know, uh, again, nice guy. I've worked with him. I think he's a great guy. I think he can do a great job representing us. No offense. Um, uh, but I don't see a lot of great campaigning coming from him. So I'm a little concerned that everybody's kind of lost. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Well, uh, I think it's going to be, and it has been so far, a fun campaign. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm unlike the other two guys. And I'm not a Washington insider, and I'm not a Helena insider. And um, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I suspect that's what that's what the, the Montana Democratic Party means when they say I'm not a Democrat. They really mean I'm just not a Helena insider. So I have a different and fresh perspective, and it's been a lot of fun. So are you running into a lot of people that uh, want to meet you, want to find out what you're, what you're talking about? Are, has politics kind of, you know, I'm a Helena insider. Politics is our number one game here. We bowl, we golf a little bit, but politics is what we like to do. And uh, so for me, I always know who's running. Oh, my God, somebody's announced. That's great. But, you know, you get outside of, you get over to Ennis, really, and everybody goes, oh, I'm sorry, politics. No, we have things to do with our lives. So I, as you're going around the state, are you meeting a lot of people? Are they engaged, involved? You know, the folks that I'm, I'm meeting are engaged and interested and uh, curious. And it's, it's, I've really enjoyed getting to meet all these people. You know, people will, will, will talk to you as a U.S. Senate candidate, whereas if you just walk up to them and say you're a rancher from Wilsail, they, they're just going to walk away from you. Okay. And um, what's the, okay, you've been campaigning now for what, four months? No, since August. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, quiet. So I'm not that involved because I didn't know about it. I don't know. It was very I, quiet. Okay. Hmm. I'm a little bit concerned about my people. Um, all right. So you've been campaigning since August. What's your favorite campaign stop that you've had so far? Oh, my, by, by far, my favorite campaign stop is uh, Forsyth, Montana. And why? Because those are great people out there. They're heavily invested in agriculture, and I love that town. It's it's a beautiful little cow town, and um, I just and I like the food. They have a cafe there that serves really good roast hot roast beef sandwiches and hamburgers. And so I've I've really enjoyed Forsyth. Well, that's awesome. So, how many times have you been around the state since August? Oh, oh ten. Ten. Mm. Yeah. Already? Yeah. That's amazing. I've already already <laughs> already worked my way through one car and I'm on my second. Oh no. Um, well, that's fun. Uh four wheel drive? <laughs> uh actually all wheel drive. Well that's, that's <laughs> a, a good choice of here. Because yeah. apparently we're not getting rid of winter. <laughs> right. I don't know no. what that's about. No, we're still six weeks away. Exactly. It's a the it's a groundhog. I don't know what he's doing. Um, so as you've been going around and you've been telling people, you know, hey, I'm running for the Senate. This is what my concerns are. What are the things that they're bringing up to you? Is, is anything unexpected coming up? Or? You know, one thing that, that comes up a lot, and uh, when it first started coming up, it, it really surprised me. And it's, it's not Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. 
it's just health care. And I don't know whether it's all the publicity around the Affordable Care Act and the lousy implementation process or what, but, but people want to talk about health care. And um, I, I'm surprised. I thought Obamacare um, would sort of dominate health care decisions or discussion. And the fact of the matter is they're much more uh, interested in talking about health care generally than Obamacare specifically. And what are the specific things that they're bringing up? You know, they worry, <coughs> excuse me, they worry about whether or not their health, they have the right health care, whether it covers the right things, whether their kids are going to have health care. What about grandma? They, they worry about all the standard things, but they don't talk about it in the context of the Affordable Care Act. And it's very interesting to me that we're we're actually having this dialogue in Montana about health care that isn't necessarily tied to the Affordable Care Act. That is interesting. Um, being one of the people that actually got coverage through the <laughs> Affordable Care Act. Good for you. And through the national site relatively quickly. And I didn't do it in October because uh, I had better <laughs> things to do. It wasn't going to happen until January 1st. I can look it up later. But um, it took me about 20 minutes to get through it, got it covered. The only weird thing that I've had since then is that Blue Cross Blue Shield sends me a new ID card every month with the bill, which I think is funny because I'm like, it's not expiring every month. <laughs> so they got a couple of bugs to work out on their end, yeah. but you know, I'm covered, it works. Um, I, I, I find it interesting that uh, people have brought up health care. Have they been talking about the the lack of the expansion of Medicaid? Yeah, or? that's a... That's, uh a very grave concern of a lot of people. When you talk to hospitals and doctors and mental health professionals and public health professionals, and then you talk to consumers of medical health, um, you, the, the message is the same, that the state has really lost a significant opportunity to do good and thereby do well um, um, by not having that expansion. Um, and, you know, I know it's, I guess it's on the ballot now. Well, they're working on it. I think yeah. they haven't gathered all this. Maybe they haven't gathered all the signatures, but they're authorized to go out and get the signatures. Yeah. And I, I know a couple of people that are pushing on that. I know I signed one of the forms at some point. So um, I think it's definitely a good thing. What I find interesting is that we have, the, we continue to have these arguments about whether healthcare should be offered to everyone. And like my eyes just cross and I go into a little micro coma and pretend I'm not here because I, otherwise I just have to yell at people. I don't get it. Um, so you get into politics, but you don't sound like you're one of those people that's getting into politics because you're frustrated with the system around you. I think I can make a difference, and I think that I can beat Steve Daines. I am frustrated that things aren't getting done in Washington, but it, it's not clear to me that the people that are in Washington want to get things done, and I do. And I'm a rancher first and foremost. And at the end of the day, what matters is not who gets the credit for fixing the fence. It is who fixed the fence. And so I'm going to Washington to accomplish things. Well, and that's, that's a great thing. So um, let's go back to the ranch, because this is something I think people would be interested to know. When you first bought it, it was uh, 160 acres? 160 acres and three cows. And three cows. <laughs> oh, and yeah. Is that all you had for animals? <laughs> yeah. Well, we had seems, a couple of horses. It seems a little spread out. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. But we've lost half the herd. <laughs> How do you lose one and a half cows? <laughs> yeah, there was that. Well, one cow is hiding behind a tree. We know he's there, but he's still kind of missing. And then you now you're at... Over 10,000 acres? Yeah. 
and you have the largest Angus herd in the, the state? Is that no, right? no, absolutely oh. not. No, no. Oh, it's I the, have the, pigs. the, the pigs. I have the largest commercial Berkshire herd in the Intermountain West. Okay. And, and what are commercial Berkshires? Um, Berks, as we call them, um, are black pigs that originally came from England. And uh, if you go to, to re some restaurants, you'll see them uh, on their menu as kuraboda, which is the Japanese word for black pigs. And um, they are the more traditional pig that um, has intermuscular marbling, has pink flesh instead of white flesh, and it tastes like real pork, and its bacon tastes like real bacon. Um, so wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you have the largest herd and you make bacon. Yeah. You're like a Montana hero. <laughs> yes. Yes, I should probably campaign on that. Exactly. I bring <laughs> home the bacon, literally. Here's so, the swine herd. Yes, the Burks are, are just great pigs. I love them dearly. That's awesome. So you've got the Angus cows, you've got the Burks, chickens, dogs, horses. Well, and, you know, we also have uh, sheep, and uh, we we feature border lesters, which are good both for wool and meat. And um, any llamas? Uh, yes, we have two llamas. In fact, I'm sorry to report that our third llama, who'd been with us for 25 years, just passed about two weeks ago. Oh. So we have two llamas and we have two uh, guard dogs, sheep guard dogs, Great Pyrenees Akbash crosses. Oh, nice. And um, our ranch is sustainable. Uh, we've been certified sustainable by the Western Sustainability Exchange. And uh, we uh, practice uh, sound uh, agriculture as well as uh, fair and humane uh, animal handling practices. Okay. I know what that last part is, but let's, let's go back to the sustainable ranch. What exactly does that mean? And, and is it something that's common? You know, I, uh, the Western Sustainability Exchange, which is a great or environmental organization, has protected about 900,000 acres thus far. Um, where ranchers now engage in sustainable practices. And by that, we're talking about as few uh, inputs as uh, possible uh, to, the, to the, the operation. So we don't uh, do injections. Uh, we don't use hormones. We try uh, very hard not to use uh, chemicals or fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. You don't massage the beef in MSG. <laughs> no, no, that's, Jap that's Japanese Wagyu. <laughs> Excuse me, told you I'm not healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so with the su sustainability of the ranch, does that involve like any environmental changes to the land to trap water? Sure. Crops, I mean, sort of we've over the last uh, 25 years, we've fenced livestock, all the livestock off the water courses and given them off uh, water off stream uh, access to water so they're not standing in the creeks um, and we've engaged in rotational grazing for almost the entire uh, time I've owned, owned the ranch which is uh, easier on the grass and, and better for weed control. So uh, this sounds like you've done a really amazing job with everything that you've ever touched. You were a good teacher in a classroom where somebody was shot uh, <laughs> You were a lawyer and probably did some good work there. I'm going to assume. I'm not going to ask because it's the law, whatever. <laughs> and then you built up a huge ranch and you did it in a way that most Montanans would be envious of and proud to be near. Um, we already have a rancher senator in Tester, um, but you're from the other side of the state. Um, so things are a little bit different. Have you been to his ranch? Have you seen what he does? Do You, you know, I've been by his, um, his commute fields 
but I, I haven't, you know, had a tour or anything. What, there's no winery? <laughs> yeah. Well, What's you going know, on with these people in the state? We have, we do have wineries. Uh, there's actually one in, in Forsyth, which I failed to mention. And there's wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Your favorite stop has a winery and it's in Montana? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. This is delightful. <laughs> I did not know this. Right. And, and then there's, of course, the Ten Spoon Vineyard over in Missoula, which is, is a wonderful, has wonderful wine and it's a wonderful spot. Very cool. And then, you know, it, it, we're now on my favorite subject, which is alcohol. We've got all the breweries, <laughs> and now we've got a bunch of distilleries in the state. Um, and you're obviously a rancher. Do you have any farmland as well? Or? Yeah, we've, we farm about uh, 1,500 acres, usually barley or oats. Um, but Do you sell it in the state? Does it become alcohol that we can consume? That's <laughs> you know, really when, we were, when we were growing malt barley, uh, we did sell it in the state. Um, but... The, most of the grain that we grow now gets fed to our animals. Oh, nice. Uh, sustainability. Right. Uh, that's where that comes in. Okay. So you've turned around. You've, you've done all the goals that you had in your life. I want to you know, be a teacher. I want to be a lawyer. I want to buy a ranch. I want to live in Montana. And then somewhere somebody got a stick and whacked you upside the head and you thought, I'll run for the Senate. And... You're, and you know, the race is great. Let's, let's do some hypotheticals here. What's the first thing you do when you get into office? The first thing that Other I... Other than disinfect the thing. Right, right. First, first thing I would do before I even unpack my boxes would, inter, it would be to introduce the Northern Rockies Ecosystem Protection Act uh, in, uh, as a bill in the United States Senate. Oh, okay, let's tell people what that is because I, I read a little bit about it, but I don't understand it. Okay, it's commonly known as NREPA, N-R-E-P-A, and it's basically a science-based uh, approach. Oh, it's science-based. I'm sorry, we can't have <laughs> right. that. This is Montana. It's a, sci- it's a science-based approach to ecosystem protection, and it was developed in Montana by a lot of different Montana environmental organizations. And for many years, politicians uh, like Lee Metcalf and Senator Baucus uh, worked hard uh, to get ecosystem protection law um, for the Montana uh, Northern Rockies. And um, having struggled to get that done, they've fallen back to more bite-sized uh, approaches to um, wilderness protection. And I would like to go back and try again now for a larger bill that protects the entire ecosystem uh, not only because that's good for the animals and it's good for the forest, but also because, believe it or not, it's actually better uh, for loggers and it's better for people who vacation in the forest and it'll create about 2,300 jobs. Okay, wait a minute. So it's science-based, it creates jobs, and it's better for our environment. I'm sorry, but this is not allowed in politics. <laughs> Have you, didn't you read the little black book? Did they not give it to yeah, you? Yeah, I, I, I even signed the form, and I oh. st- still came out with this proposal. <laughs> okay, so that's the first thing that you do. What's, you, know, you'd, you really would face an uphill battle, mostly because the last three letters of your bill would be EPA. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and in, in putting something forth like that, how do you plan to get allies to, to sign up and sign on for something like that? Well, I think, I think we need to uh, refresh the wilderness maps and uh, that we would attach to the bill. And in the process, 
make sure that all of the appropriate constituents are heard. But I also think it's extremely important to work with the senators and the other four states affected and to build relationships. If you make NARIPA a big priority of your uh, a term in office, I think it's something that can get done. I think that's great. Um, so that's your first thing. What are your other major goals? My, I have, uh, uh, my, my second uh, major goal would be to sponsor legislation to create the equivalent of the Rural Electrification Administration, the REA, but for high-speed fiber so that states like Montana, which is so large, so rugged, and so sparsely populated, will have the fiber to their schools and their hospitals that, that, they, that we need here in Montana and in other rural states to compete with affluent urban centers. Remind me, after we're done recording, i got to tell you about my friends here in the shop who are, um, just started up an internet company, and it, they light up their fiber tomorrow or Friday. Oh, wow. I would so, like to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, you know, and it, it's one of those things because, you know, yeah, I'd like my videos to come down faster. No, it's not porn. <laughs> it's actually the work that I do. I want people to be able to watch my stuff faster. And there's so many people in the state that are still on, of all things, dial up. I'm like, I didn't even know modems were still used that way. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, so we've got a lot of unique challenges in Montana, and it sounds like you've got a really good handle on. A lot of it, you you come into this with a, a really unique background with, again, you know, you were a teacher, you were a lawyer, now you're a rancher, and you've done all of these things in um, unlikely ways, it seems. It's not the ones that everybody would do. It seems like the, the right ones to choose. How hard was it to, to stick to your guns when you said, I want to have a sustainable ranch? How hard was it to stick to your guns when you said, I want to teach inner city kids? <laughs> well, I mean, I, did, I, I know you didn't stay there for that long. Right. You know, right. Point, well, no, I mean, somebody pull all, a gun on you? No, no. Oh, I right. mean, I, I thought it was a wonderful opportunity um, to test the skills I acquired in college and to learn a lot about myself as well as those children. And um, those, the lessons from teaching those children stay with me today. And it's not, it wasn't hard to be sustainable. Um, it makes uh, economic sense, which is something that the Western Sustainability Exchange always talks about. So, in, 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 then why don't other people do that? I guess that's my question. Well, you know, um, I, 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 can't, I can't speak for other folks. I guess I just don't know. Huh. Well, I don't know either. I, I'm always curious about that because I look at how we change things and, and how we move forward with new technologies and new ideas and what we're trying to do. And I don't understand why the acceptance level goes down as we do something that's new and interesting. Um, you know, Germany, after Fukushima happened in Japan, Germany shut down their nuclear reactors and went to, uh, of all things, solar power. Germany doesn't get that much sun. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a rainy place. It's a lot like England, except it's sort of organized. Um, but uh, I'm part German. I can get away with it. Um, with as much sun as hits Montana, the fact that we don't have solar everywhere is astounding to me. But I, I will say this, and I thought it was funny when it occurred to me. Um, the school that I first went to when we moved to Montana, I was five years old, and Four Georgians had just opened here in Helena. And the place that used to have the um, uh, playground 
implementation, whatever they were. They were large tractor tires on chains because that's safe. Um, they're no longer there. They paved that part over and they've put in parking spaces for the teachers, which is great. And all of the lights are solar powered, which is phenomenal. But it's the only place I've seen in town where solar power is used other than the little traffic things that tell you you're speeding down the road, which they always tell me I'm speeding. So whatever. But we don't have a lot of solar. We don't have a lot of alternative energy sources that are going on. How do you get people to embrace that stuff? Well, I, you know, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. Let me preface my, my remarks by saying, first of all, I was pro bono counsel for the environmentalists uh, in defeating a nuclear power plant. Um, and so I understand the value and importance of alternative renewable energy sources, not nuclear, not coal. And I think the way you develop uh, more appetite for uh, renewable energy in addition to the incentives that the government provides already is to, to think about this as a big important project. And I think the more emphasis that you put on it and the more leadership you provide and the more um, money that is conditioned upon that kind of activity, the better off you'll be. In addition, I think utilities are slowly beginning to figure out that coal is a terrible alternative and that renewable is a great alternative. And I think the best evidence of that is the Northwest Energy's decision to purchase the hydroelectric dams of Montana PPL. Uh, yeah, I think that's great too. Um, the dams are an interesting thing because of how much energy they make. Uh, a friend of mine did a documentary at the old Rainbow dam and you had to see these generators and they're massive and you stand next to them and you realize I'm in the middle of a magnetic field that could rip my cellular structure apart. It's amazing. It's just some water. No big deal. Um, so you've got, what is it? Five months left? Uh, no, I've oh, got, you've only got until June for yeah, the primary, the, the June primary. What are the major challenges you've got coming up? Well, I think, you know, I think we're going to have a debate uh, a couple of times, and so I want to make sure that I'm articulate. And um, I have a lot of people still to meet in the state of Montana. I need to get back to Forsyth to have a hamburger. And, um, and so, buy me a bottle of wine. Right, you right, right a bottle of Forsyth wine. So there's, there's several uh, challenges, but um, I think I can meet them. And what's the biggest concerns you have going into a debate? I mean, you're dealing with... Hopefully, you'll be debating Walsh and Bollinger, yes. Yes. And um, what is your biggest, you know, because you're dealing with Bollinger, who's a, a lifelong politician. Walsh, who is relatively new to politics, but has always been ancillary to them because he's been in the military his entire term. How do you, you know, deal with that? Walsh is the first Iraq vet to serve in Congress. Right. So um, the way I'll deal with, uh, the thing that I'm the most concerned about in the debate is making sure we don't end up with mush mouth sloganeering. Um, you know, to, to chant. I don't think you have that problem. I haven't managed to get you to do that yet. We've been here for 35 minutes. I know, but I'm concerned that perhaps, you know, that'll be how it all ends up. And I don't want it, I want it to be a talk, a discussion about specific big ideas. I think it's so important to do big things. This is the United States Senate. And so we're not sent there to fix the potholes. We're sent there to do big things. I intend to go and do big things. And I hope the debates are about doing big things. Um, I think that's great. I think a lot of this is great. I really like meeting you. This is <laughs> awesome. Um, with 
a lot of what's going to go on in politics, it's going to, we've already started to see it go down that path that looks like a dark alley, ends up being the Valley of Death, <laughs> uh, and you walk alone through the shadow of the Valley of Death, whatever the line is, I don't know. Um, how are you going to be doing your campaigning ads? Are you uh, up and up? Well, you know, Hopefully you're going to say, well, I'm running a, a straight campaign and we're not going to blah, blah, blah. Well, you know... Um, Sloganeering, that's what I'm looking for here. Yeah, I know. The uh, county chair in, uh, for the Democrats in, in Dawson County, Glendive, asked me uh, to not go negative, and uh, I said I would try very hard not to, and I'm going to try very hard to focus on what I think are my big ideas and the merits of them, and um, hopefully, um, I, I, I can't imagine, John, Bollinger running a negative campaign, and hopefully John Walsh will run a positive campaign and people can compare our ideas. Uh, I hope so, too. So um, let's talk about some of the things that are, you know, Walsh is making a big impact for veterans. Did you ever serve? No, I didn't. Okay. So um, where do you stand on the veterans' policies that, you know, so far we've managed to do nothing good on recently? You know, I was talking to some veterans the other day, um, actually earlier this week, and I learned that um, about uh, half of the homeless here in Montana are veterans. And um, I was um, almost rendered speechless by that. And I want to do those things for um, homeless veterans as well as homeless people generally that are necessary uh, to address that problem here in Montana where, you know, being homeless, it's not like being homeless in Santa Monica, California. And I think it's important that we have strong mental health outreach and that we have strong uh, drug counseling and that we have affordable housing um, for homeless folks. And affordable housing for homeless folks is a real challenge. It takes a government role because it definitely has to be a nonprofit uh, activity uh, so that the housing is not expensive. Um, along with that, I'll give you another one because I was just talking to a friend of mine who's the head of the, I think they say NAMI, uh, NAMI, the National Association for Mental uh, Illness. And uh, the statistic he gave me was once, one every 23 hours uh, of vet suicides. Yeah, our suicide rate in Montana is way too high. And it's an absolute signal to policymakers that we're not doing enough on the mental health front. And it's one of the, the real puzzlements to me from my friends across the aisle in that, you know, by every stretch of the imagination, providing good mental health services is a whole lot less expensive and it's a whole lot better for the individual than packing them up and sending them off to prison or letting them just be homeless and wander the streets. So I really hope that we get more focus on mental health in this campaign and as a policy matter going forward. So um, what do you have coming up for events? Sorry, I have to get you off the downer moments of suicide and everything else. <laughs> so um, we're actually very excited. We're, um, I'm very fortunate. Um, Carol King, the Carol King. The, the Carol King, King. As in the singer? Yes, yeah, in the singer, a songwriter, the, the natural woman, the, the album Tapestry and all her other wonderful songs is going to perform uh, two concerts. 
to help me raise money. Uh, one is in going to be in Bozeman, and one's going to be in Missoula, and they're going to be on May 1st and 2nd. So that's really exciting, something I'm looking forward to okay, a lot. Okay, I give. How do you know Carol King? <laughs> well, um, Carol, uh, I, I don't. Uh, until recently, Carol was very gracious and reached out to me and offered to help. And of course, you know, you can't turn down help like that. And it never no. even occurred to me to turn it down. Uh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So May 1st and 2nd? Yes. And Missoula Post. Yes. That's amazing. Where do people go to get tickets for this? Well, we, we're still in the process of doing that, um, but I will uh, I will let you know, and it'll obviously be on my website, adamsformontana.com. Okay. So um, that'll be awesome. That seems like a great fundraiser and a way to reach out to people. What is the one thing that you really want to tell Montanans right now about you? I think the most important thing um, that Montanans need to know about me is that you know, I've been a rancher for 30 years, and what I've learned is that um, your word is the most valuable thing you have. And um, I intend to uh, give my word to Montanans to do the big, bold things, the big, bold, brave things that we need to do to make Montana a better place, not only for our seniors and ourselves, but also for our kids. I think that's great. Okay, so we're coming up on about, uh, we got about 10 minutes left, 10, 15 minutes. Um, with everything that you've come into, you, you've, you've started this campaign in August, you got a lot of good recognition in the paper, you've done a lot of stuff on TV, um, you're, you've been around the state 10 times. Uh, on a scale of one to dead, how tired are you? <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to take a week of vacation between uh, the primary and when I start r running the general election against Steve Daines, and I'm looking forward to that week. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good thing to do. So um, you've got a lot of troops on the ground? I do, yeah. You're getting a lot of good volunteers? Yes, yes. It's, um, been, it's been wonderful, actually. How has it been since... Walsh was appointed. Has that impacted your campaign in a positive or negative way? Or no, it's actually it's been it's been very positive, with without regard to characterizing what happened there in any particular way. Um, there are folks that would prefer that the voters have the right to make that decision, and they have flocked to my campaign. Oh, I think that's great. Um, I happen to believe in good primaries. I think that that's a great thing. Um, one of the things that bothers me about Montanans is that we tend to not have good primaries. We have primaries, and they tend to be, you know, a, a, a concerted shellacking. <laughs> um, you're not left enough. You're not right enough. And you know what? At the end of the day, you're not enough enough. And and then we get to the primary, and everybody's like, yeah, we're tired. Um, so I do hope that everybody you, Walsh, Bollinger, everybody has a positive campaign. Because I think you all come at it um, from a place of, of true honesty. I mean, I know John Walsh, he's done a really good job of, of advocating for the military, advocating for our veterans, advocating for um, and areas that he knows. I, mean, I, I get a sense from you that you are very strong on, on the environment, things that you know, things that you've worked with, but it doesn't sound like you're lacking in any of these other areas, which is a, a really amazing thing. And then Bollinger's has been around forever. He's a great guy. Um, I think the important thing for everybody is to talk about the things that you know and acknowledge the things that you don't. What are the areas where you consider your knowledge to be weak, where you're reaching out to others to get a good handle on them? Well, while I, fi I have fi uh, followed uh, foreign affairs 
um, for a long time, my my whole adult life. I don't think I'm particularly um, well informed on foreign affairs. And it's something that I'll, I'll have to get better informed on. Well, now I feel like the Senate committee. Sir, have you actually visited China? <laughs> no, I have not. But I'm excited to go there. Um, which I think is funny. I'm like, how did Max never go to China? All right. Um, so what were your plans before Max announced? Did you announce that you were going to run in August? Because he didn't announce then. No, he was, this- no, he was out in, I believe, the... Date is late April, early May. He okay, was, so were you going to run against Danes for the House seat? No, no. I, I'm only I'm only running because I thought we needed somebody to beat Steve Danes' run for the U.S. Senate, and I'm only here because Brian Schweitzer uh, isn't running for the Senate. Well, there you go, Brian, Mister MSNBC <laughs> from Georgetown Lake. Uh, it's all your fault. Well, I'm going to blame you. Uh, which seems consistent with what we've done for the last 10 years in politics in Montana. Um, Well, that's cool. So anything else you want to say? No, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, and I really appreciate appreciate the format. It allows me to have a little longer conversation. Sometimes it's hard to get everything said you want to say in 30 seconds. Well, yeah, and I'm not a fan of the soundbite. In fact, the reason I started this podcast is because um, as we got into the – I think it was – 2011, yeah, the election, the last election cycle, um, there were so many crazy things that were going on. It's like, I don't know who these people are, but I see these sound bites from them, which make me hate them even more. And I thought, well, I better do something about it. And I've got the media skills. Why not? So I invited some people on. We started doing this and it was a nice change. I am the worst interviewer on the planet. I fully admit it, but uh, it's a nice chance for you to come in and say anything that you want. And by all means, anytime you want to come back, the mic is free and available to you. So feel free. Ladies and gentlemen, this was Dirk Adams. Uh, you can visit him online at adamsformontana.com. You can donate to his campaign there. You can sign up to be a volunteer. You can get information, yard signs, all that stuff. I did check out the site earlier. You can also check out uh, his radio ads. I didn't see any TV ads. Not not yet, but very soon. Okay. Uh, and they better be positive. That's all there is to it. <laughs> wi- they will be positive. <laughs> Good. We're going to have some clean campaigning this year in Montana. It's going to be awesome. Dirk, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you. Thank you.